0: The last term we were looking at our vision as as a church, to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. That Habakkuk promise from Habakkuk 2.14, when he promises, prophesies into the future that there will be a day where the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we live with that in our hearts. Everything that we are about is about seeing God revealed in all of his splendor, his beauty, his power, his grace so that Londoners harassed tired anxious worn-out pressurized Londoners would know the healing power of the glory of God something that we can sometimes as the church take for granted because we begin to live in the good of this and forget how wonderful it is to come into the kingdom of light having been out in the cold spiritually for so long our Our existence is so that others might know this glory. That was last term, and this term we're going to be diving into our mission. So, the vision is what we, our preferred future for London. The London that we hope for, dream for, pray for, wake up early for give for the kind of London that we would like to live in, the kind of society that Jesus talks about. And our mission is what we are going to do right now so that we can take our steps to see that fulfilled. Amen. So we're going to take four Sundays. I'm going to lay a foundation this Sunday off the back of this text, a very well-known text that if you've been in church for a while, you will know about this, the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus. But what I want to do is just try and get you under the skin for a moment of what it might have felt like for that small group of disciples on the mountainside hearing these words from Jesus. Because as these people who were soaked in Jewish culture, they knew what it meant to have a rabbi and to be a disciple. They knew that it was part of their framework of growing up. If you were a young boy at that age in the synagogue, you would be de- you'd be taken to the scripture school where you would be taught basically to memorize the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible. Just imagine that for a moment. Okay, you're going to Bible you're going to uh, beacons and you're told to learn like probably like a hundred pages or so 240 pages of Bible by memory that was their first stage and they were discipled in the scriptures and as they progressed the the discipleship process would get increasingly more difficult and more scripture was to be memorized and then as they grew older discussions would start as to to the ethics of the Old Testament theology and if as a man then you did exceptionally well you'd be able to sit down with a rabbi who would then quiz you and interview and talk with you to find out how well you knew the scriptures and if that rabbi liked you was satisfied with your ethical view of the scriptures understood that you actually had memorized the Hebrew Bible then they may invite you and say follow me and be my disciple And what that would mean for that young man would be you follow this rabbi wherever he goes. If he goes to the synagogue, you follow him to the synagogue. If he teaches, you sit down and listen. If you're having dinner, you ask him questions of his view of the scriptures. And you would live with the rabbi so that you would be immersed and soaked in the ways of God and understand his plans for Israel and for the nations. And at one point, if this young disciple had done well, the rabbi would say, it's now time for you to become a rabbi in your own right. And then he would then say to others, come and follow me. It was par for the course for Jewish culture. They knew what it meant to have a rabbi that they would look to. And so when the news of this untrained Jesus from Nazareth who was now teaching with authority like no one else taught with, who was performing miracles that they had only heard of from past generations. The atmosphere in Israel was electric because there was this, and there was no YouTube in these days, so it's not like you saw this person everywhere. You didn't know what he looked like, you didn't know where he might be, he might be in the north, he might be in Jerusalem, you never know when you might bump into him, you might be in a town where he's traveling. There was this uncertainty, Is this amazing, mysterious, rabbi who was now asking others to follow him and be his disciples and yet he was actually doing the stuff that was prophesied about he was literally making people who were blind see again people who couldn't walk were sitting up again and walking and so when this jesus came through galilee and invited 12 young men to come and follow me and be my disciples you can imagine how they felt in that moment because there were a lot of hopes resting on this jesus everyone was expecting that this jesus would be the one to bring a political security back to israel national identity back his own national state his own governance again to get rid of the romans and they were expecting this political overhaul to happen so when they got invited by jesus to be my disciples they thought they were basically being invited into governmental power and they expected this upward trajectory of power and influence. And he was a celebrity of the day, so you can imagine, I don't know who's your favorite celebrity right now, I'm not gonna guess, Justin Bieber comes to mind, I don't know what that says about me, but I say someone you actually really like, like David Beckham says, I want you to be my like, inner entourage, your political hero, whatever it might be, I want you to be part of my inner circle and we are going to establish a new kingdom. And it's going to come about. Imagine that. So everywhere you go, you're on the inner circle of Jesus. There's a kind of like slightly, some celebrity status to this. You have to imagine it. And they walked around, kind of strutting their stuff at points. You know, they didn't like the kids being around because they messed things up. They didn't want anyone getting in the way of their positions of power, etc. And just as things began to get going, Jesus was killed. And for the disciples, it was this utterly strange turn of events. Like they were expecting this upward journey into power. And before they knew it, Jesus was being crucified before their eyes you ever had those moments of news when everything drops from your stomach and it feels like everything in you all your life force your all the color of life just drained They, they experienced this kind of everything was over for them so much so that some even the next day began to walk home to try and resume their old life and yet we're here in waterloo in 2020 because we know that jesus on the third day rose from the dead And he carried on this discipleship process, teaching them and training them in the ways of the scriptures, as he had done for three years, and explaining back through the Old Testament, this is what it was always meant to be about, that I would be crucified, not to establish a national state, but to establish a spiritual state across the face of the earth, not just for one nation, but for the nations, not just for you, but for every single soul, that they could know why they were born to know the living God. And he establishes them, and he trains them for weeks and weeks in the scriptures. And then he calls them to Galilee and says, I've got one final message for you. So they come up, they're all expectant, imagine this is Jesus, last words. I think, they don't know where he's going either. At this point, you've got to imagine, we know where he's going. but like, I don't know, does he go up or does he go to the side? I don't know how he gets into heaven. But somehow he goes to the right hand of the Father and he says, OK, guys, the last three years you've been my disciples. Now it's your turn to be the rabbi, to be the teacher. It's now your turn to make disciples. And this is what I imagine was going on in their minds. Um, no thanks. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine they would be thinking, I'm not sure about this, Jesus, because you're doing quite a good job of this. You seem to know the Bible better than we do. I still feel like a novice, this is just three years you seem to know things much better than i do i would like you to stick around and you be the rabbi and we'll all just follow you like you be prime minister or whatever that's fine but like we'll just we'll be your followers and then you can do the stuff and yet jesus says now you go and make disciples the call of god is on you now not me and everyone who is filled by the holy spirit to go and spread this message and it's always how god operates it's incredible Like you would think, like God being infinite in all of His power, He is in the heavens. He can do everything He pleases. We're told in Psalm 115, He can do literally anything He wants. Michael likes to ask me, like, can God pick up that building? Yep. Can God pick up that building? Can God? Yeah. God God can pick up any building He wants to. He can do literally anything He wants to. You would think if God wants to make disciples of all the nations, He would do it Himself. And yet he entrusts you and me to make disciples of London. It's a crazy thought. In Victoria, if he wants to make disciples, he's going to do it through us. I should say through you. There is no discipleship of London that's going to happen without every one of us who call ourselves Christians here today, saying, yes, I want to make disciples of this Jesus. And if you're like me, my first reaction is like, I don't know even what that means. Like, how do I even start that process? How how do I, what do I do? Like, ask someone, do you wanna be my disciple? You know, like, that's just so weird. Like, do I call myself rabbi now? Like, how does this all work? It's like, it it, it feels, we're gonna unpack it. But the way that God works is through us. What does it look like? Jesus actually gives us three things in this passage. The main main command that we get in Matthew 28 is to make disciples. In fact, the only thing we're told to do is make disciples in this passage, it's the only actual imperative that we have. You go and make disciples but I want to give three descriptions of what that would look like that Jesus gives us as we go forward from this place in 2020. The first thing is this, the word go in verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And and some people make a lot of this thing of... Go, like especially like mission-minded, apostolic, like why are you still sitting here, you should be gone. Go, you know, where's the next nation, where's the next house move, what's the next thing, what's the next, go, 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 go. But actually the, 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 the verb here is a participle, it's an ing word, it's a going thing. A more kind of literal translation would be, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going about your business, as you are going to work, as you are going home, as you are on the train, as you are about your life, whatever you are doing, wherever you find yourself, in whatever nation, in whatever city, there be making disciples. Because we can make a mistake sometimes. And if you've been in church for a while, you hear the word discipleship and things pop into your brain. Discipleship equals one-on-one Bible study in a coffee shop. Discipleship equals a leadership kind of training course you're going to go on discipleship equals a program so I do my discipleship on a Wednesday night when I do the prayer course and the rest of life is my mine and I go back to do some more discipleship when I go back to the course and yet Jesus says wherever you might find yourself as you are going there make disciples because here's the thing God has called you to be a disciple on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday, wherever you might find yourself. And sometimes it can feel like your work is a block to your discipleship. Has anyone ever felt that? You feel like, I wish I wouldn't have so many pressures at work, because then I could really pursue God with everything that I have. And yet that misunderstands the call of Jesus and what it is to be a disciple because God has placed you in your workplace as the very school of discipleship where he wants you to follow him does that make sense it's a total reorientation that is the very sphere where God wants you to be a disciple and yes it feels hard because going on a course, to be honest, is easy. I mean, if you've got a course at work, like three days of course, that's, that's like the. You, you look forward to those bits, don't you? Doing the stuff when you actually have to do the stuff, that's, that is the moment of discipleship. And we need to reorientate our minds and not just think, okay, I'm coming to church to get a bit of discipleship and then I go back to the rest of my life. Okay, I'm getting fueled right now so that I can be a disciple in my workplace. And we have to flesh that out. But Jesus, as you are going there, there you be a disciple. The second thing is this He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second thing, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, is to be baptized. So let me ask you a straightforward question. Have you been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Matt, I think you were our first, weren't you, baptized? Yes. wanted to get in there first. And we just baptized Mark and Isabella. Amazing. I love baptismal Sundays. I don't know how we're going to do it in this space yet. I don't know if we're going to... Baptism will crawl on the balcony or something or head to the Thames, it's just there. And then we literally pray for resurrection power. Um, firstly, have you been baptised? But if you have been baptised, do you know the power of that baptism? Because sometimes what we do is we, ha- we get baptised, whenever it was, and then we leave it in the past like it's a tick box exercise, like it's the entry requirements to get into heaven like okay I've been baptised, tick, move on with the rest of my life But when Jesus says being baptized, there is a sense in which, yes, it's a one-off event that happens in one moment of time. And yet the power of that baptism actually grows as you go on with Jesus and are a disciple with him. The power of your baptism doesn't fade as you go. It grows as you go on with Jesus. Because the baptism is the mark of the spiritual, the physical, the public marking out of your life that I am now following Jesus... And it says to your soul everything that God has done in your life. So and I've been in some discussions with people and they've said, like, I got baptized 20 years ago and I did some backsliding and things and I, I don't know, it feels like a long time ago. Could I get re-baptized because it just doesn't feel very real to me? Which misunderstands the first baptism. Because you may not have known very much at that point when you were getting baptised. But that's not the point. Because you fill in what God has done in your life with all the extra knowledge that you grow. The baptism that you went through becomes increasingly meaningful. Because it's what God has done through salvation, through grace, through your faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this. He says, baptism is not a work that we do, but a treasure that God gives us and that faith grasps. In baptism, therefore, every Christian has enough to study and practice all of his or her life. Thus, we must regard baptism and put it to such use in such a way that we may draw strength and comfort from it. He says, when our sins and our conscience oppress us, and say you say then he says but i am baptized and i have been baptized and i have the promise that i shall be saved and have eternal life both in soul and body so to be a disciple of jesus means to take your baptism and make it live every single day because the baptism signifies the gospel and everything that god has done in your life so you feel oppressed in your soul right now you feel your conscience is condemning you you feel the lies of the enemy what do you do you take your baptism and you say i'm a baptized believer i have died to my old self my righteousness right now is in heaven i am sat in heavenly places right now satan does not know the kind of privileges that i have he does know that the god of the universe listens to my prayers you go back to your baptism and your identity and who you are amen because the truth is, there are always other rabbis vying for our attention. And you probably know this if you've tried to follow Jesus. So you can say that you follow Jesus with your words, but your life might testify that there are actually other rabbis. And the truth is, no one is not a disciple. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, it's not like there are Christians and we're disciples. And if I can say this, if you're not a Christian, you're not a disciple. It's just you're a disciple, you're an apprentice of something or someone else. Mark Devers says this, pastor in America, he says, to be human is to be a disciple. He says, God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. We are all disciples. The only question is, of whom? When I was a teenager, Jesus was kind of there in the background, but I had a rabbi, and it wasn't Jesus. I kind of, like, thought about Jesus, but my true rabbi, can you guess who my true rabbi was? Justin, Bieber. Justin... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he's my, he's my second in command. You know? <laughs> It's not true, but his new music's quite good. But anyway, that's by the by. My, my actual rabbi was Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I used to be six foot four and about 17 stone, 5% body fat, but I had to give all of that up to be a Bible teacher so I could be here with you right now. Um, but he, he, he presented me with a vision. And it was quite a dramatic vision in Speedos. I mean, it was quite something to behold. (laughs) Sorry, Chris. Um, And he was my robot. I was like, this is what I want to give my life to. I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. After a few years, I realized this is a futile, futile exercise. I need to find another rabbi who's actually going to fulfill my deepest desires in life. Um, I even got the Apostle Arnold's Bible. I think I still have it somewhere. Yes, I do have it. My mum's here. She can testify. Um, There are other other rabbis in life, other people you look to and you say, I want to be trained in this way. Social media is trying to draw us into being trained in the ways of whoever it might be. Set up a YouTube channel, give some advice, this is the way. You can be a disciple of Buddha, you can be a disciple of Mary Kondo. What sparks your joy? Yes, we're going to follow whatever you say we we're going to follow. We're going to, because we want to find this good life somewhere. The question is, we need to go back to our identity as Christians who have been baptized. So do you know all the privileges that you have? do you know that your sin is actually dead in the ground do you know that you have been raised do you know that you have resurrection power right now coursing through your soul do you know you might be sat here in the coin street but you're actually spiritually at the right hand of the father do you know that right now even while I'm talking you in your heart could whisper something to the father and his ear is listening to you You believe that Do, do you know that you are as loved by the father as Jesus is right now you might feel crummy this morning I don't know how you feel but that does not change the fact that when you are baptized you are loved in exactly the same passion and emotion that the father loves Jesus Christ isn't that amazing isn't that a lifetime's worth of meditation the father loves me in the same way that he loves Jesus the perfect son that will change everything in your discipleship resurrect your baptism and the third thing is this obeying so he says verse 20 teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you teaching and observing so it's not just teaching and then move on but teaching And observing, obeying, keeping everything that we hear in this book. Jesus says in John 15, he says this, If you abide in me and my words in you, if they live within you, if they find fulfillment, and um, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you prove that you are a disciple of Jesus? Is that you take this word in and you allow it to dwell in your life so that it changes who you are and fruit is born around you that things happen and change that spiritual atmosphere is changed around you because you have the word living in you as one of my passions for us is that we have a deep theology and a knowledge of the bible That we be people who carry this book literally in our bag and spiritually in our hearts. That the word lives within us. That people speak about Trinitarians and say they know the Bible. If you want to know something about the Bible, go and ask one of those people in the coin street. They seem to be able to know the Bible and answer your theological questions. If you want to know about God, they seem to have read it and absorbed this truth. But it cannot just be teaching. Because get me, this, there is a way that you can avoid the presence of God through just simply absorbing more and more teaching. Because it can feel like, hey, passing the time by listening to a sermon on my podcast is a slightly more godly way than listening to whatever it might be or watching whatever it might be. That does not make you a disciple of Jesus. In fact, you can accumulate teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and use more and more teaching to keep God at bay. Because the moment you're told, okay, now encounter God, lay your soul bare before you feel twitching and self conscious and you want to withdraw again. We receive and then we obey. Jesus seemed to have his harshest critique of the pharisees who were the very ones who had got to the top of the scripture schools and had memorized every single bit of the bible and he, those were the ones he says you hypocrite you whitewashed tombs you're rotten on the inside even though you look religious on the outside he called them children of hell these were the churchy people you think i'm in the synagogue how and he said no you are the children of hell because you accumulate teaching and yet you haven't even entered the kingdom of the kingdom yourself and you withhold others from knowing god so it cannot just be knowing the bible it's got to be understanding deep theology through the scriptures and then every time you hear scripture you turn you say how can i respond how can i do this so even now as you're hearing this i'm not i'm not trying to fill half an hour of your time like if that was it like there are much better speakers and preachers and communicators you might as well stick on a podcast and go home this unpacking of scripture is so as you hear this you are thinking how does this change my next week how do i respond how do i go from this place and know god you are with me and i'm going to obey you How do I, if you're telling me, make disciples, how do I go into my workplace tomorrow and with different eyes see how can I help these people know Jesus? Mm -hmm. Some people might be they don't know Jesus at all. It's just introducing them to you. It might be telling them what you did on Sunday and this new Coin Street venue and church and what God spoke to you about. Or it might be a Christian say, can we meet, can we encourage one another? It's viewing everything saying, Jesus, you teach me and I'm gonna obey. Otherwise, it seems like it's worse. Just to accumulate teaching without doing anything is actually worse than not accumulating the teaching in the first place. Because as soon as you know stuff, there's a responsibility and accountability to do it. So, to be a disciple is to view everything as your discipleship, not just Sundays or Wednesdays. Your work is not holding you back from your discipleship and knowing God. It is the place where God has placed you so that you can grow strong in him. Secondly, to get hold of your baptism, your identity, the power that has been given to you and to obey everything that Jesus says. So if we did that with these three marks of disciples, what would success look like for us in 2020 and into this decade to come? What would success look like for church plants like us? The temptation and the danger is success looks like numerical growth because like you're a church plant it's nice to have chairs filled and things like that it's nice to it's deeply hardwired into our psyche that bigger is better isn't it like well if it's bigger it's got to be a better it's got to somehow it's got to be a better thing. And when you're a church plant you're desperate to like just make the room feel like a bit more like there's people turning up and people do love jesus in london we promise they're just not here today you know we've got that kind of like please there's that we we want it to grow but growth numerically is not an indicator that disciples are being made it's not not an indicator but neither is it an indicator It's it's irrelevant to where the disciples, you can have a massive crowd and there might be two disciples in that crowd. You might have a massive crowd and there's a thousand disciples there. What we want to do is focus on the bit that we can do. Jesus oddly seems to have this aversion sometimes to crowd gathering. It's funny, church planting, a lot of it's like okay, you know, website, and get the banners ready, and invite friends, and like, like, like gathering a crowd is the thing there's a funny moment in John 6 where Jesus now is just teaching and you know Jesus is he's often quoted in our culture today as like a nice teacher and he's got all this wisdom people didn't like his teaching his ethical vision of life was not complementary to how other people were living if Jesus taught today he wouldn't be like oh he's such a nice guy bring him round for tea let's hear some of his pearls of wisdom no no he called people like children of hell if they weren't following this particular way of life he was very black and white and straightforward and there was one moment where this huge crowd were gathering and he saw through the motivation and he was teaching and he was teaching and they were told that it felt so hard to the crowd that hundreds probably thousands of them left and honestly, you know, as a church leader, you get insecure. People are leaving the church. If that was me, like, why are they leaving the church? Maybe we have a strategy meeting. We need to drop these doctrines. People don't like this stuff anymore. We need to re- re- re-engage with culture. We've got to, like, boost whatever. We've got to do something new. Th- this was Jesus' response when people were walking away. He says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Okay, insecure moment. Someone unfollows you on Twitter. You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, hundreds it's literally they're just walking away from him. And what does Jesus do? He turns to a disciple and says, "Hey guys, um, do you want to do you, you want to go as well?" Literally, that's his response. It's like, okay, do you, he he literally seems to have this thing like, I'm happy for the crowd to get thinned right now because I'm not about gathering a crowd. I'm making disciples of the kingdom of God who will see that heaven established here on earth. He will live with the kingdom in mind. By the by, Simon Peter said, Lord, we don't have anywhere to go. You've got the words of eternal life. So what does success look like for us? It looks like disciples who will give themselves to being disciples wherever they find themselves, getting hold of the power of their salvation and obeying every word of scripture. Neil Cole, he says this. He says, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or your property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Ouch. (laughs) So here's the thing. If Trinity Church is going to be a good church, it is going to mean you and i living radically devoted lives to jesus christ that is what success is going to look like for us me listening to every word of scripture and obeying john wesley says this i like this do you want to get stirred up a little bit Yeah, all right. I don't know if this is a crowd-thinning moment. It's like, oh, no, yeah. Literally, me and Tori are in a room uh, with expensive overheads. Okay, John Wesley says this. Give me 100 preachers. Or we might say, give me 100 disciples. Give me 100 Christians who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw. I Old fashioned. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's my passion. That we would be maybe a small SAS team of disciples of Jesus who fear nothing but sin who desire nothing but God and through this devoted passion will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven here in London. Jesus did it with 12. We're way beyond that already. What if we all say yes to Jesus, I will do whatever you say, if you say turn left, I'm going left, if you say turn right, I'm going right, if you say morally jump, morally duck, morally go backwards, morally go forwards, I will do anything you say, and we will see the kingdom of God established, and then we will be successful, that's what it's going to look like for us, so let me ask you very simply, how are you doing? new year good time to like resolutions and all that looking forward how are, literally just how are you doing how do you feel you're doing if someone were to assess you on these three criteria how do you view your work right now what you do during the week how soaked with god is that in your mind how do you view it is that a hindrance in your mind or is that the blessing is that the place you are bringing the kingdom of god to bear How are you living in the power of your salvation? How are you resurrecting the power of your baptism and seeing it work in your life? Do you know the joy of your salvation? What about this, if you were to mark yourself from zero being terrible to 10 being amazing, how would you mark yourself in obedience to the word right now? Say like, just don't have to answer me. Answer God, I will. How are you doing? How spiritually ambitious are you for this year? How hungry are you for the kingdom of God to be established across London? Or how narrow is your view of your life? I just want to do this with my work and get there. Questions to ask at this point and and we need to ask them because we need to be intentional because no one drifts into this. No one wakes up at 60 years old and thinks, cracky. I think I've just lived the Sermon on the Mount for like the last 10 years of my life without knowing. Isn't that amazing? I don't think I've sinned once in about 15 years. I'm I'm just loving all the time. I think I've just given all my, I can't, no one wakes up with that. But everyone drifts away from God if you don't get your hand to the plow. So our role right now is to recalibrate and get a hold of God and intentionally follow him because our culture is doing everything it can to lead you away there are companies who are literally talking about how they can distract your attention away from anything else but their thing how are we going to fill our gaze with Jesus right now and the amazing thing is this is that we don't get left with this like okay guys we hope you're really going to do well this year see you in 2021 for the next pep talk to be a disciple we're not left like that Jesus leaves these final words these final instructions not with an imperative but with a promise he says and behold I am with you always to the end of the age that's the promise I am with you So all we need to do is turn to this Jesus and find him looking at us saying, I am always with you. We can have friends who can be with us and they're like good friends but they're limited in what they can actually do. We may have amazing relationships, but the closer you get to someone, you always realize how flawed you are and how flawed they are. All of our human relationships are limited and flawed, and yet when we turn to Jesus, we find an eternal one with infinite resources, an infinite fountain of good and love for us, who is not flawed in any single way. This word all comes up a lot. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is with me now. Isn't confidence? Imagine walking, someone saying, by the way, all authority in London belongs to me right now. I don't know if you know that, but uh, if, you want to, if you want anything done, then talk to me. And yet Jesus says, no, all authority in heaven with all the demonic forces and on earth with all of the human power belongs to me right now. And Jesus says, I'm with you. Everything, you need something done? I have all authority. Jesus doesn't vie for authority with anyone else. It's interesting when the election got done and everyone was like, oh, wow, okay, big majority, lots of things are gonna get done now. And then within like days, people were complaining because things aren't gonna be done exactly how they want and they already tussling. Jesus doesn't tussle with anyone. He's not fighting with Satan, who's gonna get authority over this patch, over 2020 or whatever. He has authority over all things. And he says, I am with you. So come to me. And he says, over all the nations, every, over Iran, over the White House, over London, over every nation across London, he is the Lord. And he says, I am with you literally all the days. So you can come to him. We're going to come to him in just a moment. You can come to him today and with this promise that I am with you. Because you might feel like, I've done some stupid stuff in the last year. I don't feel very holy today how can I come to him this is the promise that I am with you all the days whether you feel good right now whether you feel bad right now I am with you and we're gonna mark it by breaking bread together and celebrating with the wine the blood of his covenant that Jesus promises I am with you and here I mark my life in the cross but I am never going to forsake you through all of your ups and downs. And as we fill our gaze with this Jesus, the power of the resurrection fills our lives and we give ourselves to him. So can I invite you to stand? And we're going to respond. And the band can come back up. And just lift your hearts to God for a few moments. And we're going to respond by, by praying. We're going to respond by breaking bread together, having communion. We're going to respond by singing. And some of you, I feel, are going to need to make some decisions for this next year and this next decade. Because the expectation when you become a disciple is that you take everything that you are, your hearts, your fears, your dreams, your pains, your anxieties, your bank balance, your diary, your work, your relationships, you take everything you are and you place them on the table before God. And it's a super vulnerable thing to do. Because you might think, well, what if God takes it off the table on his side? That's a a frightening thing if you've placed hope in that. And yet when you do that and you open up your whole life and you lift up your soul to the Lord, you find Jesus Christ who has opened his life up entirely. You find him still with scars in his wrists, in his side at the right hand of the Father having given up everything haven't suffered infinitely in hell so that you might receive eternal life. And this is the one that we come to. And some of you might need to give some stuff to Jesus today say, I wanna follow you wherever I go, joy in my heart, obeying everything you say. Let me just encourage you right now to ask some questions in your soul. Lord, how are you speaking to me? Some of you might wanna ask, are there areas of my life that you wanna just put your finger on? Don't be afraid. Because if the Holy Spirit does put his finger on a particular area of your life, it's not to condemn you, it's to bring you freedom, it's to bring you life, it's because it's stopping you from knowing wholeness. And he says, I'm with you all the days of your life. So Heavenly Fathers, we now respond in worship, communion. Would you bless us? Would you sanctify this moment? Would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you form disciples, I pray? Would you change us, I ask? In Jesus' name.